Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loras College. In this episode, we will talk with Monsignor James Barta, the former president of Loras, as he shares his memories of the college. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and joining me as co-host is Bobby Earls, Director of Alumni Communications, and our distinguished guest, Monsignor Barta. Bobby, welcome to the Dewhawk Digest. Thank you so much, Robert. It's great to have you on the call, Monsignor Barda. Good to be here. Wonderful. You have a storied past at Loris, and I can tell you, without hesitation, when I am out with alumni, speaking with them in person or on the phone, they always ask about you, and they always have a fond memory to share. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> a lot of people may not know this, although many who know you well understand your long connection to Loris, from graduating to being part of our faculty to leading Loris as our president. Tell me how you ended up at Loris back in the 50s. Well, I always wanted to be a priest, and so I became the first person in our family to go to college. And um, after I got to Loris, uh, was great experience then, just as now. And uh, I, after I was there for a while, I thought, now when I, if and when I become a priest, I wouldn't mind being here in, uh, at Loris. But I never told anybody that in those days, because those were the days when when you told somebody what you wanted, then maybe to teach you a little humility or whatever, they wouldn't give it to you. <laughs> so I kept, I kept it all a secret. <laughs> then, then after I was ordained, I was assigned to uh, St. Wentz Parish in uh, Cedar Rapids. And uh, at the end of that year, we all came up for our junior clergy exams. And... Um, as I was coming out of the junior clergy exam, uh, an arm came out of a side room and pulled me in, and it was Monsignor Friedel. And he said, uh, well, are you interested, would you be interested in being on the Loris faculty? So I said, sure, yeah. And then he said, uh, would you be interested in being in the psychology department? And my answer was, I never even thought. I never thought of psychology in all my life. Mm -hmm. I thought I might be in theology or classical studies or something like that. So he said, well, think about it because the retreat starts tonight, and after the retreat, the archbishop will get in touch with you. So we went to the retreat, and everything was pious and holy, and as we left, customarily, we all said goodbye to the archbishop, and he said goodbye, and that was it. So I <laughs> drove back down to Cedar Rapids, and Barely got back down to see the Rapids when I got a phone call saying, well, uh, the bishop wants to see you tomorrow. <laughs> so tomorrow we uh, plan to go back to Dubuque. Unfortunately, the, we were in two time zones then. One was on standard and one was on daylight savings. Uh, I didn't know that. So I was an hour late for my first uh, uh, interview with oh, the Archbishop no. about war. <laughs> so then he said, well, he sort of made a little introduction. He said, well, um, 
they're interested in somebody's interested in having you be on the faculty of law. So you go up and talk to Monsignor Gannon, and he'll explain things to you. So I went up to Monsignor Gannon. I suppose he knew I was coming anyway. And so we had our first psychology department meeting, two <laughs> martinis. <laughs> and so he, he explained how things had to go. And so I said, fine, good, good. Although I didn't know for sure what psychology had in store for me. Mm-hmm. And that was at the beginning of the summer. And for the summer session, I was at Fordham University. I never had to take a graduate record exam. I never had to fill out information papers. I didn't have to do anything like that because from Monsignor Gannon and the chairman of the psychology department at Fordham were old buddies, and they had worked together to establish the um, the National Catholic Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. So I began the first summer there. And uh, he said, now, get get your master's degree in in, um, experimental psych. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't all that interesting, but I did it. And and then when I got the master's degree, he said, well, now it's probably time to, why don't you shift over to uh, uh, clinical psych. Mm -hmm. So I did that, got my doctorate in clinical. And that has, that combination is a tremendous combination for teaching psych to uh, undergraduate students. The MA, experimental psych, gave you the scientific method, mm-hmm. and the clinical psych gave you the very, very useful uh, applications to uh, student life or anybody's life as far as that goes. If it were theoretically possible, that would be a, a good background for anybody going into priesthood. Sure. Anyway, so much of that has happened without any, <laughs> without any determination on my own part. But it was it was a blessing for as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Or as as Sister Bernadine would say, it was divine intervention. The Holy Spirit was taking good care of you. <laughs> well, maybe so. <laughs> so you returned back to campus in what year? And what was one of your first few courses that you taught? Well, I would come back in the summer school and teach and teach in the summer school um, before I got the doctorate. Okay. When I came back uh, with the doctorate, naturally we all had the intro to psych. Everybody had to take psych in those days, and everybody had to take two courses in psych, which I think is not a bad idea. And uh, and. uh, so then as the department developed and grew, there would be a new uh, course introduced every once in a while. <laughs> so um, one of the first courses was um, adolescent psych. So Jim Gavin says, well, you're the youngest guy here. You can teach the adolescent psych course. Okay, so I got the adolescent psych course. Years later, when I was chairman of the department, we decided... <laughs> We should introduce a psychology for aging. So I said, well, Tim, you're the oldest guy here. You can do this course in psychology for aging. So you you turned the tables on Monsignor Gannon. Yeah, that was good. And we were were adding courses all the time and uh, and, uh, became a full-fledged department. And uh, 
good majors to begin with. I still hear from some of those very early majors. They're all getting a little bit old, but uh, we've had some we had some very fine people in those days. I was going to say, Monsignor, you mentioned a couple of names that historians and anybody who traveled the hills of Loris remember. Monsignor Friedel, Monsignor Gannon. Talk to us a little bit about those that were on campus during your time here and those friendships that evolved and those relationships that evolved. When I went to Loris, there were... There were more priests at Loris than there are in quite a few dioceses in the whole country now. Mm -hmm. I think we had some 50 priests or something like that. And um, uh, at one time, uh, practically every department chairman was a, was a priest. But even then, when I was there, the first lay people were coming into the, uh, into the faculty. And they, they were, there were tremendous people among all those. And uh, we kept adding um, people like that too, and some of my finest memories have been uh, the, the lay people that got got things uh, to a more universal approach to things. You know, it couldn't, wasn't going to be priests forever. So the lay people uh, assumed their legitimate role at Loris. So a lot of a lot of my memories are that bunch. You know, we still have a few of them left. They're kind of dying off though. For example, Bud Noonan was a year or so ahead of me, and, and uh, there were he's still alive and kicking, mm -hmm. as far as I know. Yes. So, uh, he, but that those were uh, it was a great faculty. It, it always was a great faculty. Yes, I can tell you that the legacy that you all it, not just even began, but the legacy that you continued from those before you, those faculty members today carry on that same high standard and commitment to students. So you can be very proud of the standards that you continued and the torch that you handed off to the current staff and faculty. I think one of the things about picking faculty, um, we, some people would, uh, um, would say it was not a good idea to hire so many of your own people. Uh, we hired maybe more than the average number of people who have um, people who had been students at Loris. I never had that feeling because when they were students at Loris, you got to know who they were and what kind of people they were. And then we went off to grad schools all over the country, you know, and very good grad schools too. And that's where they got their specialization and their and and the skill and expertise, and they brought that back from all different parts of the country, and that's so there was this combination not only of academic skills but also a confidence in them as persons because you knew them when they were when they were students. Mm -hmm. I must hurry you to say though that we've had tremendous people who came to Loris for the first time. And, uh, and, had, and had never been a student there before, and were great additions to the faculty. But uh, I'm just saying this in defense of the idea that hiring your own is not a totally under, is not a 
totally bad idea. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I was very blessed when I graduated from Loris in 1988, you were the president. So you signed my diploma and congratulated me as I walked across the stage. As you look back at your first few years at Loris to the time that you served as president and then then retired and left from Loris, did you ever see yourself going that path and finding yourself leading the institution? No, I never, I never, when I was a young priest, a young faculty member, I never thought about being president. <laughs> Who wanted to be president? <laughs> and and uh, actually, if I had to go back, if I could only pick one thing in my past life, uh, academic life, I would go back to being a prof. Um, presidents are, are very, very important, but this, this for personal satisfaction and all that. Mm -hmm. Being a teacher, I, you know, once a teacher, always a teacher. Yes. But even even that was uh, uh, an interesting sort of uh, deal too. Uh, we had a we had a. A, lay, a layman come in as president and uh, wanted to be sure there was a priest as academic dean and so um, you could nominate well some people nominated every, every practically every priest you know and he whittled it down and and uh, and uh, I was the one chosen to be academic dean and that was a great thing too it was working with faculty it, it was a kind of an idea where you have some ideas, and you can give some encouragement, and you can draw on the on the resources and the skills of the individuals, and great things happened in mm -hmm. in the faculty in those days. Then came the, then he left, and the, um, then came the uh, how to fill those shoes, and so I was acting president, and then after a few months the board uh, made me the president mm -hmm. and uh it, it was, again it was uh it probably expanded our ideas a little bit more uh worked a lot more then with uh, presidents of other colleges and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> one time the des moines register had this article in there about college presidents and what they were being paid <laughs> and uh and, and it was it was rather interesting, and these were the years before the, um, most of the increases, and they had all the colleges listed, and there, down at the bottom was President Lawrence, $6,000, <laughs> because we were paid just like everybody else, every, every, like an associate priest, a sure. newly ordained priest, and I got the same salary, and Ken Krause's son was, was teaching at Luther at the time. <laughs> he was saying they were joking up at, at Luther. What Luther needs is a priest as president. <laughs> <laughs> well, you right, that was a good guy. That was a, Ken was a good guy. Uh -huh. He was he was a great fellow. A gem, a gem. He really was. Yes. <laughs> you you saw many changes throughout your time at Loris, as you mentioned, the introduction of more lay faculty that were joining all of your priest brothers. You saw the introduction of women on campus in the early 70s. Talk to me yes. a little bit about that. That was rather interesting. You know, there were, there were some split opinions on that. Mm -hmm. and 
One of the, one of his split opinions came from Monsignor Schulte. He was not at all in favor of this. He says, there it goes. Uh, the morals are going to go down and the academic life is going to go down. And you know, Monsignor Schulte was a person of fairly strong opinions. Mm-hmm. And uh, not very long after that, he said, Jim, you know, I was wrong on both accounts. Aww. We're better off academically and we're better off socially and morally too. So he he, he quickly saw the advantages of being co-ed. Yes. And it really did evolve over time. And now we have such a wonderful balance of men and women on campus, each challenging the other gender to kind of raise the bar and each really bringing Loris to a whole new level, both academically, spiritually, um, and athletically out uh, when they're competing. So this- I think that we did a very good job. Uh, We were very fortunate in bringing up the population roughly 50-50. In fact, I guess maybe there are more girls there now than guys, but uh, we, in some some places, the the, uh, the ratio, uh, takes a lot longer to get to the roughly 50-50 than it is at Lourdes. Mm-hmm. You have always been such a wonderful mentor to so many people, whether they were faculty members in the psychology department, whether they were administrators at Lourdes College. And I know our current president, Jim Collins, speaks so highly of you and truly- well, that cost tr- me a lot of money. I had to talk him <laughs> into that. <laughs> I don't believe that. Not one bit. You're going to have to go to confession now, Monsignor Carta. <laughs> <laughs> but he he does he thinks the world of you as as we all do and has really appreciated because as you mentioned um, it is difficult when you are leading an institution to have that mentor that peer mentor that has experienced some of the same things um, tell us a little bit about that wonderful and unique relationship that you share with our current president Jim Collins well, you know, he's been he's been Loris from the beginning. Uh, he had so many different positions in the uh, uh, administration of Loris, and um, uh, <laughs> one of the things I remember an awful most fondly is we spent a lot of time when when I was first president going visiting different alumni groups around the country, and. Uh, we had a few to begin with, but we, under his leadership, we expanded the number of them and the size of them and whatnot. All did I enjoy those meetings. It was a chance for us to uh, uh, talk about Loris, which is always a, a good thing, and to renew the memories of people and their enthusiasm for for the place and and uh it was a it was a great experience and that that was one of the most satisfying and actually very important aspects of of being a president too to uh, uh keep you know, to build up the alumni and have them continue to be and increasingly be a support to the college <laughs> one of the jokes we usually tell <laughs> we would go out and, and We'd have dinner, just the two of us before the thing in the evening. And so I, uh, in those days, I one of my favorite drinks was a perfect Rob Roy. 
and uh, I guess it's called Perfy because of the way it's mixed. And he later on admitted, he says, you know, that, I thought that was a snobbish thing to say, the perfect Rob Roy, until he found out what it meant to be a perfect Rob Roy. And so I asked him, and I said, now, Jim, when you go out and you you order a drink, you 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 need Bud Light or something like that. Now, if you're going to go out to a place that if you like beer and you like this, why don't you try the local beer? Come test them and see, see what it's like. So, so we were able to dig each other a little bit on, <laughs> on our drinking preferences. He, he was a, but then much more serious than all that is uh, how well he knows academic life mm-hmm. and the connections that he has built up, not for any kind of self-aggrandizement, just connections that are going to be good for the college. Mm-hmm. He's far ahead of me in, in uh, whatever I was in, in the, you know, areas like that. He, he, he knows the territory very, very well. As you look back at Loris College from your days as a student in, in the 50s, and you look at Loris today, now in 2020, what are some of the changes that you've noticed? And also reflect a little bit on maybe what you see staying the same at Loris. If I were to go back to being a prof today, uh, I would have to take a, a year off to get ready to be a prof. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the teaching, the approach to teaching is so different, and it is a, a big improvement. When we were first there, everything was kind of lecture, you know, mm-hmm. and the involvement of students um, you know, was uh, minimal compared to the uh, the the typical classroom, the typical curriculum elements are much more, they're more involved, they're more participatory, they're more research oriented. And it is very much the idea that this method of teaching gets people to do what we really want to do, not learn facts, but learn how to think and, and how how to evaluate the facts that you hear about. That, I think, as far as academically, is, is the, the uh, biggest development. In other aspects of college life, uh, I'm still a small college person. And there is this idea of family. Uh, other people may call it community. Um, in a broader term, we call it the sensitivity to the common good. Uh, these are things that they don't, not that they don't exist in other places, but this is uh, an aspect of college life that pervades life at, at Loris. Uh, there was always a certain degree of that, but the people who work in student development at Loris have done over the years uh, a, very, a very great job in Nobody needs to feel alone. Uh, I don't say that nobody ever does feel alone, mm-hmm. but there are positive efforts to be of mutual support one to the other. That's what being a, one of the aspects of being a, a Christian college is. Mm-hmm. At Loris, one of the things our students love to make fun of and yet they embrace and love and cherish is that we're teasing them about 
being active learners, reflective thinkers, ethical decision makers, and responsible contributors. And it's something that they can recite and kind of make fun of, but yet when they graduate, they all point back to the significant role that this way of life at Loris prepares them not only for their career, but for their vocation in life. And that, that's always been the case, but I think it's the case more now than, than ever before. One of the most satisfying things that you hear as, a, as an old prof is somebody will come back and they'll say, you know, you maybe don't remember ever saying this, but one day in class you said such and such and so and so, and I have remembered that ever since, and it has helped me out ever since. Uh, then that makes it all worthwhile. If you hear that once every few months, you're life is good. <laughs> yes. You you talked about if your one regret or the one thing that necessarily you might would love to do over again was you would have loved to have been a professor your entire career. Is there anything that you wish you would have done or tried or followed up on that maybe you didn't? Well, there are, there are a lot of those. <laughs> I think my biggest is my biggest disappointment was the uh, failure of uh, uh, Loris and Clark to uh, to come together. Mm. I think that that was uh, an opportunity. There was a certain degree of complementarity there between the two colleges, mm -hmm. and I don't fully understand uh, why it didn't happen. I have my opinions and, mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, I think we missed uh, an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, too, uh, our faculty and administration did uh, very good work there. The, the areas in which I anticipated the most difficulty turned out to be some among the areas that worked the hardest and had the most concrete plans to uh, to go ahead and uh, make something good out of it all. Mm -hmm. um, that That's one of, one of the disappointments. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, I, I think that um, the smallness of our colleges is a blessing, but it's also going to be one of the challenges for the future because economically, uh, we're in, well, I think we're uh, facing some very difficult times, mm -hmm. and the smallness of a college is, uh, is, is going going to be uh, detrimental to us. Um, the government, you know, could put us out of out of existence if they wanted to. Uh, I'd like to see us go into something more like the um, the GI plan. Mm -hmm. If the state would say, you know, we're interested in educated people, mm -hmm. it costs us this much for educated people, we will give you that much money, up to that much money, and just, you know, but you have to go to an accredited college and let people make, make their choices. Mm -hmm. um, that, I think, would be the ideal. Now, we do quite a bit of that in, in the state of Iowa. And I'm I'm always been amazed that uh, Iowa has been a little, a little bit forward forward looking in this regard. But if the government is really interested in preserving its 
high educational level, uh, not only uh, nationally, but also within the state. I think they're going to have to take some kind of action uh, along the, uh, those lines. Well, perhaps Monsignor Barda, if you're interested in a second career, we could start you off in the world of <laughs> politics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> but, you know, we, 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 we have to kind of keep our mouths shut in most cases. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That would be the hard part for me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> what are some of the fond memories that you recall, whether it is with a, a fellow faculty or staff member or it's with a, a student? Is there something that comes to mind that really stands out? Well, uh, you know, these are these are little things. Um, we back when when we didn't have Saturday night masses. <clears throat> after where our mass was over in the morning on Saturday morning, a bunch of us would go hiking every day, and we've hiked practically every every footstep of the Mississippi River, east side and west side, up and down twenty miles, and then all the valleys going down to it. Uh, that was, and we talked about all sorts of things. Uh, that that was a lot of fun. Another thing is, there was another faculty member who played golf just about as badly as I do, <laughs> and we 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 had a, a, a few common enemies. By enemies, I don't mean we couldn't stand them, you know, but they, right. they were they were. You know. So he was a guy for gadgets. So he got himself a little gadget where you can put your name on a golf ball, you know. Just, and so he put some of our common enemies' names on golf balls, <laughs> and it straightened out our drive. Oh, <laughs> it was great fun. But um, at any rate, students were a lot of individual. Oh, one time we I used to have bohemi parties. Uh, you're supposed to bow your head when I say Bohemi party, by the way. Okay. <laughs> on St. Wenceslas Day, you know, we'd have a Bohemi party. Well, the first, I was in, living in Beckman Hall, and the RA in Beckman Hall was a Bohemian student from Cedar Rapids. And so I thought, well, let's, let's have a little party to celebrate it. So we put together one just for close friends and people like that. Well, the idea went pretty well, so the next... Uh, year we got one of the rooms the first one was in my room next year we got a, a, a larger room and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and you, in order to come to the party you had to wear red you had to know the bohemian password which usually was something like yuxamash you know how are you and you had to be able to drink some beer and you had to be able to uh you know, eat collages and things like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that struck me is it got so big one time that we rented a, a room behind one of the taverns here in, in Dubuque. And by that time, nuns from Clark were coming over too. <laughs> and one of the nuns was celebrating her 80th birthday. They used to sound old to me, but they're not any longer. No. Well, she didn't know there was a back door to this room. And so she comes traipsing through the front door of the tavern looking for the party. <laughs> and, 
but things like that that you know they're 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 trivial and whatnot, but their the life was good. That's life wonderful. was very good. That is wonderful. I think I'm gonna to have to put you in charge of my next alumni event. We'll have to plan a Bohemian party. Well, that wouldn't be bad, you know. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be very bohemian. I'm not a full blooded by any means. I'm more of a German than anything else, but you gotta hold you gotta sort of stick up for or uh, the good things that are there. That is right. You're exactly right. Monsignor Broder, is there anything maybe we didn't mention that you'd love to talk about? Well, I, I've probably uh, touched upon all of the uh, um, personal things I <laughs> remember fondly. Mm -hmm. uh, I We mentioned before you know, the... Uh, the uh, spiritual life at uh, at Laura's, mm -hmm. and um, I'm not saying that we're all saints. They were, we weren't saints way back when we were majority seminarians. Um, but yeah, as colleges go, um, we, we've had a pretty good record in those in that regard as well. Uh, I often think. I have nephews and nieces and whatnot, and and then and, and some of them are children are getting to be a college age too. Um, most of my relatives live far away by now, and so they they're not at at Morris right now. But if I were picking a college for any son or daughter of mine, if I were a married man, there would be so many reasons uh, for a. Uh, Christian parent to be happy with what's going on at Laura's. I think that's so beautifully said and a wonderful way to wrap up our conversation. Yeah, I think you've. Uh, well, I hope you're. Right there. <laughs> I hope you haven't been bored. No, absolutely <laughs> not. not. not <laughs> well, good. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed this very much. Yeah, yeah, we both have absolutely. And Monsignor James Barta, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your memories and all your stories from Morris College. Well, they've been, uh, God's been good. God's been good. And he's definitely been good to us to bless you with many years at Loris because you truly have touched the lives of so many men and women during your time here and even beyond. So thank you, Monsignor. Well, thank And thank you very much. And Bobby, thank you for sitting in and as always doing a tremendous job when you when you join us. It's been fantastic. And thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion. Be sure to visit Dolores Daily at daily.loris.edu to find more podcasts as well as daily updates on news, features, and videos from across Loris College. We hope you'll join us for the next Duhawk Digest. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other and go do Duhawks.